And I'm willing to bet if you knew the end was in sight, you would live completely different than what you lived yesterday. You would completely do things differently than what you did them yesterday. And my hope and my desire for my life and for your life is that we will live our lives as if today is the last day that we have to live. Because I believe if we live like the end is near, we will be different people. And our focus will be on different things. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of 1 Peter. We hope that you will join us as we begin getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. Ben watched for years his grandmother suffer with a time of dialysis. Her end was quickly approaching Maybe you've experienced something like this in your own life in which you've stood over someone in which you dearly loved as you saw the end approaching. Ben, the night before his grandmother passed on from this life into eternity, she had just a few last words for him. And she gathered up all the strength she had She sat up in the bed, and these were the last words that she had spoken to Ben. Ben, go live the life that God called you to. The next day, the end of her life had come. As I was reading a testimony this morning of this man, Ben, I have no idea who Ben is, but it was a great reminder for all of us to be reminded that the end is coming. And I want to just ask you a question this morning. Do we live our lives as if the end is coming? Or do we live it as if we will live for eternity on this earth? Peter is going to continue in this study as we've been looking through the book of 1 Peter, pointing us to a time of need and desperation in the lives of these people. Many of them, the end has come. Their life on earth has ended due to persecution. But my hope this morning is to simply give you what this word is going to speak to us. And so I entitled this sermon this morning, Christian Living in All You Do. Because really that's what Peter is going to take us through. He's going to tell us, give us a description of the Christian's lifestyle. But specifically, contextually, as he points to the end of time in which we will go to see Christ or Christ will come to see us. It really makes no difference. The reality is, is we're going there, he's coming here. Last week, we built on our outline and we looked at the fact that Christians, in light of living the victorious Christians' lives, that we should desire the attitude of Jesus. We saw the necessity to give up our lives for the sake of Christ. We saw the desire that we should have to follow the will of God, to accomplish all that God has for us in our lives. And then we finished with the last point, the fact that we should desire the eternal hope. These were all strategies for you and I to live the victory that Christ intended for us to live, the victorious Christian life. This week, we're going again to be looking at the Christian living in all that we do, a description of the Christian life. And so two things that I want to bring to light from our text this morning, because Peter sees the end in sight, because he wants to point to the second coming of Christ, he gives us two things. He first gives us the fact that the end times should bring about Christian urgency. Should bring about Christian urgency. Secondly, the end times should bring about Christian living. 
Today, as we dive into the text, we're going to find a tremendous amount of imperatives. And we know that an imperative is a command to obey. These can be a challenge to us sometimes. But in the midst of it, don't sign out. As I prayed, let God's conviction come into your life so that you can be changed. I say write them down. If you're convicted about something that we go over, just write it down, jot it down. And go home and pray over it and ask God to reveal to you what it is He's trying to teach you through the text. Because God wants to change you today. More and more to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And while there are many imperatives, we also don't need to look past the fact that there are great promises in our passage this morning. So let's look, if you will, at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. He says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore... Be of sober judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think that as we read this passage of Scripture, it's helpful to evaluate churches in general across America. Today, many churches lack love for one another. They lack compassion. They lack common purpose. You know, one of the things I hear is when people come and visit here, they say, I I felt like I, I came home somewhere where I belonged. They just seem to be loved well. And listen, as we grow... Let's don't lose that. Let's don't lose that fervent love for those that walk through the doors because the reality is is we never know what that person is going through. And you may be, as we sang this morning in that first hymn, the only Jesus they will ever see in their life. The fact is, is that many churches have lost the pipeline that leads to the Lord. It's broken because of a lack of love which they are called to have. And as we approach the last of the last days, which I truly believe that we are in, the enemy will bring forth opposition that can weaken and eventually destroy these local bodies of believers. Now, you know the gates of hell cannot destroy the church. Jesus promises that. The gates of hell will not destroy. But He can break up these local little bodies, and many of them are failing, even across our county, because they've lost their first love. They've lost the love for the brethren. And He is going to bring about opposition. Now, everyone needs to understand that I don't want that to be the case for us. In this little church tucked away in the woods, I want us to see the importance of what Peter is saying within our text about Christian living and how it's vital to our growth as a group of believers and followers of Christ to be strong in our fellowship with one another, that we have special loyalty between one another as members of this church. We have something special. We have a connection with one another that many churches don't have. And we don't need to lose that. We need to be reminded of the importance of it. The end is near here and Peter is pointing to this. And so the reality is is they needed to commit to one another in the midst of their needs and time. And so we need to do that and commit unto the Lord because it's vital in what Peter is saying here. And so two things that I think will help us The first, let's look at it. The first point is the end times should bring about Christian urgency. 
You know, the end times or the second coming has been a major theme throughout uh, our study of the book of First Peter. Peter's held this time in which Jesus would return in, in high regard. And he has pointed us to this moment several times. He talked about it in chapter 1, verse 4, as he mentions to us about obtaining an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled that will not fade away, that is reserved for us in heaven. He talked about it in chapter 1, verse 5, as he talks about salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says that even... Tested by fire, you will result the revelation of Jesus Christ. Talks about it in chapter 4, verse 13, to the degree that you share in the suffer, sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. He also talks about it in chapter 4, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 10. We see him speak of this event, the end times, the second coming of Christ. It is an extremely important theme through the book of 1 Peter. And not only is it important here in this book, but throughout the rest of the scriptures. We see, and as he talks about it in Romans 13, 11, as he speaks about love, Paul says, do this knowing the time that, 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 that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep now for, now, for now salvation is nearer to us than we believed. We see in James 5, 8, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. <clears throat> Why is this important throughout the Scriptures? That we hear about the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. And then right here in our text, he begins, The end of all things is near. We have been hearing this message for a long time. I mean, here in First Peter, it seems to talk about the return of Christ as it should have already taken place. So what is he implying? Is he implying that you know, Christ is not coming. Has the New Testament been in error the whole time? Well, of course not. Time only affects those within its bounds. We talk about Jesus is coming soon all of the time. I mean, as long as I've been in church, I've heard it from the pulpit. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Repent and believe the gospel. But yet he still hasn't come. They tested that in the old times in the scriptures and they... They mock the Christians and saying, oh, Jesus isn't coming, but His time is not like our time. He is not bound by time. And so His quickening, praise the Lord, hasn't yet come because many have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Time affects only those that live in the bounds of it. We live and die, and that is our time frame, but God's not limited to time. And the reality is the second coming is a repeated theme throughout the Bible, but it's not uh, only for, for, for that generation, that, but one generation will experience that. One generation. It may be ours. Nowhere in the New Testament does it talk about the time in which Christ will come. It simply talks about His coming. Eschatology, the study of the scriptures of the end time or the second coming is always used to encourage believers to live in a way that honors God. And Peter is doing that very thing here. He is encouraging the believers that are going through these difficulties to be willing to share their faith, to stand up for the truth, and to live a life that will honor God because soon and very soon we will see the Lord. And we are also not to simply sit down and get comfortable looking up, waiting on His appearing. I think what Peter is trying to teach us is just the opposite of that. He's saying, you see, the end time brings about urgency. And the reason I started off with the story about that lady and that man is because the end was in sight. And I'm willing to bet if you knew the end was in sight, you would live completely different than what you lived yesterday. You would completely do things differently than what you did them yesterday. 
And my hope and my desire for my life and for your life is that we will live our lives as if today is the last day that we have to live. Because I believe if we live like the end is near, we will be different people. And our focus will be on different things than the temporal that we so easily get entangled in. You see, the end times should bring about urgency for the Christians. How would you live differently if you knew today Jesus were to come back? How would you live differently today if you knew your ticker was going to stop ticking? Would you just try to finish up your bucket list? Would you simply sit around and do nothing? I hope that I wouldn't care to worry about all those things of life any longer. No, I'd want to share my faith. I'd want to spend time with my loved ones. I'd want to invest into my children. You know, as I sit here and and I listened to this, I thought about my own kids. If today was my last day, what would I say? You know what I encourage you to do is go home and write a letter. Your last letter. And do it without weeping. Of how much you love. What would you tell them? If it's the last thing you would to tell your loved ones, how would you respond differently? I'd want to love and I'd want to fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, my family and friends. And I hope that I would have an urgency to fulfill the ministry in which God has called for me. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that God has called me to do one thing, and that's to preach His Word. And I might not be that great at it, but that's what He's called me to do. And if I do what He's called me to do, He'll take care of the rest. What is it that God has called you to do? What is it that God's called you to do? And let me ask you honestly, are you doing it? Because the end is near. The end is near. Death and end times bring about urgency for believers. Because his or her work on this earth will end. And nothing else can be done in the flesh. No more souls can be led to the Lord by you. No more forgiveness can be asked. No more gathering together on the Lord's day. No more love can be given to your brother and sister in Christ or not in Christ. Your work will simply be done And we will all be called to endure the work that we've unfinished. How will we endure? I like this thought brought out by Martin Luther. He said this, when I asked him what would he do if the end time were to come today, he replied that he would plant a tree and pay his taxes. I thought, what in the world does that mean? What Martin Luther meant was that he lived every day in light of the end. Hence, he would, be, he would do the appointed task that day. He lived like he lived every day was the last day of his life. So whatever he was going to do that day, he would do it. And I hope that's the way we can live our lives. Do we live in light of the end every day? If this was our last breath that we would take... How would we live? Can't we live better this week and the weeks to come as if it could be the end? The second coming of Christ? Because really and truly, listen, if we're going to be honest, many times we walk around like we're going to live for eternity. We make plans months, years ahead. Listen, I'm not against plans. Man plans his ways and the Lord directs his steps. But sometimes we walk around as if Jesus did not promise in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. The end times that the Bible speaks of is a real time. 
And it's important and it should for you and I as believers and followers of Christ bring about Christian urgency in our daily lives and help to encourage us to share our faith, to love one another, to treat one another with integrity. And so we can't help but move from the first point to the second point. The end times should bring about Christian living. We've already stated that the end times should bring about urgency. While it may bring about many types of urgency, Peter wants to make it clear just what this urgency should be about. He says, Therefore, and he's pointing back, because the end is near, therefore be of sober judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. He says, Therefore, taking you and I and them back to the previous part, because the end is near, because of the second coming of Christ is on its way, therefore do these things. Now, these are, this is when the imperatives come in. Peter now begins to give us a list of commands. All of these are put in place for the betterment of you and for me, for His glory, to, to build a better relationship with the Lord and to give you more joy when we follow these things. Does it mean that you'll always be successful? Of course not. Uh, we're imperfect people. We're saved by grace. Um, we're not perfect. And we're going to mess up. But that's okay because we want to live our lives trying to accomplish them. But that doesn't give us a reason of not doing what he's commanded us to. So the first paradigm he gives us is to be of sober judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. It simply means to be, be, be clear-minded, to be self-controlled for the purpose of praying to the Lord. You know, as Don greeted us this morning, he talked about the importance of prayer. And we as a church believe in prayer, and we believe that it's an important part of the body of Christ. We, this morning, have Mr. Ed visiting us, and, and I'll always remember uh, Mr. Ed Rogers from Grace Bible Church in Bluffton and those meetings we used to sit in, and he would always be reminding us that Jesus said, My house should be a house of prayer. And so here we have Peter reminding us that we should be of sound mind, clear-minded, and self-controlled for the purpose of praying. Now listen, just because you don't show up to our prayer meeting doesn't mean we don't think you're praying. We hope that you know some people have to work for a living and they can't be at Fletcher's at 7 a.m. so you go to work, but we still want you to be a part of prayer. There are many people who can't come on Wednesday nights and be a part of the prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, but we hope that when you go home in the quietness of your life and the quietness of your house that you find time to pray. And even if you can't be here early in, in that back room in which they pray before the service, that you will be praying for the service wherever you are. We need to be a house of prayer and we need to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can. And I think that so many times that we forget that and the urgency of getting the work done, we lose sight of who's actually doing the work and forgetting that we are simply a vessel in which God uses to accomplish His goals and His purposes. What Peter is trying to say is that one should be self-controlled and alert in order to be able to pray properly and effective. On point. Prayer is important as we draw near to the end. And you know why? Because you and I don't save people. And as I was talking to a young man yesterday, we talked about how do we determine success in ministry and I don't believe that we determine success in ministry by salvations you know why because we don't save people God does but what we determine successful is the involvement in the growth of the body it's important 
So as we do have these opportunities of prayer and you show up and you're able to participate, that shows us that there is great growth in the body. And so we do have a lot of people on Wednesday nights who pray. And let me tell you, they don't just pray, oh, you know, pray for my toe, it hurts. There's real life issues that are being made known, that are being prayed for in this body. And there's openness in those prayer meetings, which are such a blessing. God is enlisted in the business of saving and calling us to the business of praying. I was reminded of a few quotes on the importance of prayer, and he says this, Hudson Taylor says, it's impossible, it's possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Oswald Chambers says, prayer is the exercise of drawing on the grace of God. Andrew Murray says, learning to worship God as the God who does wonders, who wishes to prove you, in you, that He can do something supernatural and divine. Prayer is power. And you and I, Peter wants us to understand, as we face the end times, as we face persecution, prayer needs to be centrality, and we need to have a clear mind so that we can pray properly. And if we're so focused on the temporal, right? Listen, you guys understand what I'm saying. It's so easy to focus on everything we have to do that our brain can be so cluttered. It looks like, remember I preached a sermon several months ago, I think it was last year, about cleaning out my shed? Well, guess what? It needs to be cleaned out again. Because we just keep stuffing stuff in there, right? It's the same thing with our mind. The temporal things begin to build up on us and cloud us. And the next thing you know, we got this and this. This little thing up here can only contain so much, okay? Now, you might be able to hold a lot more, but the reality is, is I have to make sure that I am of clear mind pulling out the temporal so that I can leave room to compartmentalize that which is eternal and of value because that which is temporal is of no value except while here on the earth which is a smidget in light of eternity. And he wants us to clear all of this for the purpose of prayer. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we have time for prayer? Do we have a clear mind for prayer? You know, sometimes I go into these prayer meetings and I don't pray. I just listen. And I want to hear the needs. Sometimes I just want to be quiet and listen. And think about what it is that God's doing. And sometimes to be reminded of His Word and let that penetrate my heart. You see, we can all become better prayer warriors. And the result will be supernatural when we do. It will be just what God wants it to be and no less. And no more. But we have to have the right mind to be clear-minded, to be self-controlled, and to take it seriously. So I want to ask you a question. Will you commit yourselves to pray daily? We can talk about prayer, right? But until there's action, it's just talk. That's the easy part. Standing up here talking about prayer, that's the easy part. You can get up here and do that. Oh, y'all need to pray. Great, that's good. But are we going to pray? People are in need of prayer. When we meet together on Wednesdays, we spend an hour, maybe 45 minutes in prayer, maybe 30 minutes total. We could spend five hours. Easy. If we went over every need. I know Don's back there going, yeah, you're right. Yeah, amen. It's the will of God for our lives that we pray without ceasing. Commit this week to 10 minutes. Would you do that? 10 minutes, that's all. Take 10 minutes out of your day and pray. Pick five people and pray for them two minutes. And every month, add one person. And you add to that list, in a year's time, you'll be praying for 17 people for the minutes of 34 minutes. If you would just 
Write that down on a sheet of paper and begin to pray. You will be astounded of how long it will take. Let me tell you what. I've got seven children. And I've got a wife. And, I, and I'm my own man as well. You know how long it takes just to pray for a godly husband for my two girls and a godly wife for my boys? Then you got their health. Then you got their future. I mean, you think about it. And then there's 150 of you guys. And then there's a prayer list. It is astounding of what we need to be praying for and how long. There is, it could take hours to accomplish the prayer that needs to go on. But you know what? We don't have time for it. Right? I mean, really, we, we don't have the time. We're, we're too busy. I mean, if I get up at 6 and, you know, I've got to, I've got to be out of the door by 7. Some of you are up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I, I don't see them in here, but I know they're in the back. Um, some of you all wake up super early. But, but in reality, many times we just don't have time because we don't want to sacrifice our sleep, right? I mean, so if, if it takes us an hour to pray for all that we need to pray, why can't we commit an hour to that prayer? Because we're busy. I, I'm guilty. I mean, I get it. I, I don't want to sacrifice an hour of sleep. Why, I mean, I need my sleep, right? I mean, how am I going to be beautiful if I don't have my beauty sleep, Right? But, but in reality, at some point, we, we have to make a commitment. And so all I'm asking you this week is, listen, if you're a prayer or not, that's not my business between you and God. But I want to encourage you to commit 10 minutes. Five people for 10 minutes. And make sure I'm on your list. Right? <laughs> so our Savior thought it was important to pray. So much so he set time aside. If Jesus needed to set time aside, how much more should we set time aside? So let's do that. Let's commit to praying. If you're able to be at Fletcher's at 7 a.m., be there. Okay? I've committed to going there the first and third Tuesdays of the month for prayer. Okay? Can you commit? It's only 30 minutes. If you're able to be there, be there. Let's pray for our community. Pray for the people in this community. Pray for salvation in this community. And if you can't be there, that's okay. Commit to Tuesday morning when you're driving into work at 7 o'clock to know that there's a bunch of people praying at Fletcher's and you can just drive and pray. Just keep your eyes open. We can pray when we're in the bed. We can pray when we're in the shower. We can pray when we're driving down the road. Pray during breakfast, during lunch, during dinner. Pray when trouble's happening. Pray when we're thankful. Pray when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're joyful. Pray when everything is just perfect. Give thanks. Prayer can be done anytime. But we need to get focused back on intentional prayer. Because things happen through prayer, not through work. I mean, we have to serve. We have to do those things. But it's the power of prayer that accomplishes those things. Peter then begins his second imperative. In verse 8, he says, Above all, keep fervent in love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sin. 613 commands in the Old Testament and New Testament. 613 commands. And when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest? He says what? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. And here he says, above all, keep fervent in love for one another. How are we loving one another? And listen, love doesn't mean I'm going to pat you on the back when you're in sin. Right? Love means I'm going to hold you accountable. And love means you're going to hold me accountable. We live in a culture that says, oh, well, we can't offend anybody. Listen, the reality is this. Is if I am burning up in a building, by golly, it would be love to come in and get me. Don't you get out there and go, well, I can't go in his house. I don't want to offend him. No, come get me. Let's love one another. Let's love one another. Let's challenge one another. 
You know, my daughter has had a, a, a long, hard week. Now, I ain't going to put her business up here in the pulpit because I didn't ask her. But love for your friends is not easy. Loving your friends is difficult. Because when you love your friends, you love them. And when you love them, you care about their soul. And when you care about their soul, their eternity, then you're honest with them, even when it ain't easy. Let us love one another. How are we doing with that? But it's a command with a promise. He says, love one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Who in here is uh, perfect? Nobody's raising their hand. And if you are, you're a jokester. Love covers a multitude of sins. Don't you want your sins to be covered? Love one another fervently. We talked about it already in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, when he says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Peter knows that in these end times we need to focus on the love we have for one another. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, endures all things, and love never fails. Love never fails. How are you loving one another? Can you look across this room and look at somebody and tell them how you've loved them this week? Are we so wrapped up in our own world that we don't even have time to look across the pew at the needs of those around us? Because I want you to know there is great need in this little body great need hurt pain suffering pride it's it's rampant right in the body of Christ and we need to love one another now more than ever so how are you loving one another we're called to love each other in the faith. You see, those who love one another are always ready to forgive the sins of others. And loving people is sometimes inconvenient, you know? When someone hurts you, when someone wrongs you, when someone talks about you behind your back, someone degrades your character, whatever the case may be, it's then when this command becomes cloudy to many of us. Again, this command is not something that we can choose to do when we won't, but rather it's a command from God's Word. It's a command, not an option. When we see it's hard to love those that have hurt us, but it's doable. Because when we do love fervently, it covers a multitude of sin. That doesn't mean that we ignore the sin within our body. Listen, it's very appropriate that we confront sin in this church, and it's necessary. But when we do it, we use a biblical model. If you have a problem with someone in the church, you go to that person. Don't go around talking about them with the leadership or persons about the problem. No, if you don't win them over after you go to them personally, face-to-face, then you carry another brother or sister with you and you approach them. And if the sin continues, then you take it before the church. And typically at that point it stops and they leave the church or then you do church discipline. 
Love covers a multitude of sin. It's pretty simple, but very difficult. We do things the way that God wants them, and we show honor and respect for those. And many times the problem will go away. It's God's model, and it works. So get it out on the table. Because the end is near, and begin to love one another. He also says here in verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. In light of the context, you have the early church meeting in their homes. You have Christians traveling around sharing their faith. People are in need. They need hospitality. Um, Not a lot of people can afford lodging. And so uh, these people are being hospitable. And as a church, we want to be a, a, a group of believers that are marked by hospitality. And so we have to ask the question, are we hospitable to each other? You see, when we have people over to our home, we give them the very best we have. Why? Well, it's not that we are rich or have lots of money, but we want to give them our best because we want to be hospitable to them. Though it may cost us more, we want to spend or take the time that it takes to prepare so that we can be hospitable and honoring to our guest. So if I take you out to dinner... I'm going to take you out somewhere nice. We ain't going to McDonald's. Okay? Because it's my way of being hospitable to you. It's not that, that I'm opposed to eating at McDonald's or Wendy's or anything like that. But, but if I have the opportunity to date with you and your wife or you as an individual, we're, we want to be hospitable. Because that's what we're called to be. We did. We have here dinners on the first and third week of each month, and a potluck every second Sunday. And we have people preparing meals, and and this is sometimes a way that they can be hospitable. And that's why we have cooking teams. Now, to, this morning's a potluck, and so there's a lot of hospitality this morning, right? You know, that's one thing we're marked by in this church is good food. Now, you ain't gonna get no bad food in here. We don't we don't allow that. We just go and get rid of it if it tastes bad. But no, we, we're marked by hospitality as Christians. And that's what he says. Be hospitable to one another. But the, the kicker is without complaining. Right? This is, this is the kicker. We can be hospitable. I, this is what I hope. I hope that when I get to heaven and I stand before God and God doesn't remind me of all the times I was hospitable yet with a complaining heart. How much do we actually do with a bad heart as Christians? We go and we serve, we go and we do, and we go and do this, and we do it with a bad intention. Or we complain while we're doing it. It's so easy to do. My hope is that we can be hospitable as a body of believers. And because the end is near, we need to be more hospitable than ever before, and that's why we do a hot dog ministry in the community where we reach out and we're hospitable to the people in this community. We do a produce giveaway. And there are other things that we're planning. We want to be hospitable. But he also says, as to each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Don't miss that. If you're in Christ, each one of you has been given a special gift. These gifts, listen, they're undeserved, they're unmerited gifts for the ministry that God is sovereign over and has placed in your life. Every believer that's trusted in Christ has a spiritual gift given by God at salvation. Listen, for the purpose and ministry to the church, to the body of Christ. Now, I want to ask you this question. This is important because as we approach the last of the last days, it's very important to be reminded that our impact time is shortened. 
if Jesus comes tomorrow, then, then that's it. We're done. We, we can't do anything past tomorrow. And we, we, we have to live as if today could be the last day. So I want to ask you the question, how are you using your gifts in the body of Christ? In the body of Christ, how are you using your gifts? I'm not talking about in your home, in, with your children, with your husband. Those, those are givens. We are all called to do that, right? Okay? We're all called to minister to our families and, and to, to go out and to work hard and to provide for our families, to raise kids, all that. That's fine, that's great, and that's dandy. But the question that I have for you is if God has given you and me a special gift for the body of Christ to edify the body, how are you using those gifts to edify the body? Because if we are going to make an impact in the last of the last days, it's going to take everybody's gift to be used, to employ. And I believe that the graveyards in this world are some of the most untapped potential that ever existed. Meaning there are people who die and are buried in the ground never utilizing the gifts and potentials that God has given them. And my hope and my desire is that we as a church will be marked by a church that's using their gifts for the edifying of the body. God calls us to be good stewards of our gift. We will give an account of how we use our gifts. Look, get plugged in. The reality is this church is not about what you can get out of it, but what you can give unto the Lord within the church. Serve Him with a proper servant attitude. We can all use the help This body of believer has so many functioning parts, and it's just a small body. I mean, we have Sunday school opportunities to teach, serving in the nursery, teaching the kids, helping in the kitchen, during potlucks, cleaning up the floors, the sound room, the worship team, the PowerPoints, the ushers, the greeters, the maintenance crew, the lights need to be changed, the AC needs to be worked on, the filters need to be changed, the floor needs to be vacuumed. I mean, the list can just go on and on and on. The question that I ask you is, what are you doing in your part? The point is, gifts are given to help and to serve. How are you doing today? And if you're here today, and you are serving, I thank you. I'm grateful for you, for all your hard work and your dedication. You're a great example. All of these jobs that we have in this church are vital. And we're called to be good stewards. We'll give an account to the Lord how we've used our gifts. We will give an account. He says here in verse 11, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. All men. He finishes up, and so I will with this. Your gifts are speaking gifts or serving gifts. Those are the two categories they fall into. And if your gifts are speaking gifts, you should be using it to speak the word of God, to preach, and to teach. And that may be in a small group, that may be in a Sunday school. And we want to give you opportunities to use those gifts. And we want to give you the opportunity to teach, if that's what God has blessed you with. If we feel that you're theologically sound enough to do that. We're not just going to let anybody teach. Surely y'all know that. But your gift is a serving gift, then you should serve unto the Lord. If it's a teaching gift, then you should be looking to opportunities to utilize those gifts for teaching. Now, in our case, we're limited on space and room, right? We don't have 10 different classrooms. We're limited of how many classes we can have. But the reality is, is we hope to be able to alternate teachers out so they can utilize their gift. Because, I, listen, if I didn't have a, an opportunity to teach, I'd lose my mind. Because that's what God's called me to do. That's my gifting He's given me. It's like Jeremiah, it's in my bones. Okay? So your ability, you see, comes from God. Don't waste it. 
Use your gift. The end is near. Serve one another. Because the time has come and we need one another now more than ever. These people needed each other and they worked together for the purpose of serving one another as unto the Lord because all of this is done so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The greatest servant of all was Jesus Christ. He left heaven and became a man as a servant. And he is the one whom belongs to glory and dominion forever and ever. Listen, Jesus came to serve and he did it until the end. Listen, the, the end is near. Remain faithful in loving one another. Remember, it covers a multitude of sins. Serve each day the body of Christ. Pray. You've been blessed with gifts. Rely on the Lord and use them. And He will give you the strength to keep on going. The end is near. The finish line is at hand. And the question that we need to ask ourselves, are we going to live today like today is the last day? And we can go all the way back to what Mr. Ben's grandmother said there. Go live the life that God has called you to. We would like to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you were challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of 1 Peter. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Ridgeville, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. And to find out more information about the ministry of Pastor Stuart Guthrie, check him out on the web at gettingintheword.com. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.